Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers of Pantsuit Politics are the authors of Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. This is guest hosted by Alicia Fernandez Miranda, whose book My What If Year comes out in February from Zibby Books. Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers host the popular podcast Pantsuit Politics, which was named one of 2021's best shows by Apple Podcasts and has been featured in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Good Morning America 3, The Guardian, Elle Magazine, and Parents Magazine. They are also the authors of Now What? How to Move Forward When We're Divided About Basically Everything. And I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations, which was featured on MSNBC's Morning Joe. Sarah and Beth met in college before going their separate ways for law school. Sarah pursued a career in politics as a congressional staffer and campaign aide, and Beth practiced law before serving as a human resources executive. Sarah lives in Paducah, Kentucky with her spouse, Nicholas, and children, while Beth lives in Union, Kentucky with her spouse and children. 
Hi, everybody. I am so excited to be talking today on this, the day after an election day, with Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers, who are the authors of Now What? How to Move Forward When We Are Divided About Basically Everything. And they are also the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, which is an awesome podcast that I just found and like massively deep dived into it. If you see your Scottish <laughs> analytics going up over the next uh, few weeks, that's me coming in. Coming in <laughs> I love it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to have you guys on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Yeah, thank you We're for so having happy us. to be here. So I just like completely devoured this book. I just, I, I thought your approach was so fascinating. Your friendship, which I love and want to know like everything about and also be your friend maybe. We're, we're going to see if we can make <laughs> that happen. You know, I thought that your previous book about grace and how you kind of bring that in to everything that you do and talk about, that's going to be like my 2023 mantra, I've already decided. And you make a really bold assertion with this book, which is that loneliness is at the center of much of our political polarization. And you're giving people through this really practical tips on how to deal with that. So I think it's just fantastic. And I would love if you guys could start by telling listeners what Now What is about. Well, we have another book that we wrote um, in 2019 called, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening, A Guide to Gracefield Political Conversations. And we would get people writing in after reading the book and saying, okay, I listened. I still think they're wrong. Now what? (laughs) And so that's sort of where the genesis of now what came from. Because the first book was a very high level view of what we learned doing the podcast. But we realized pretty quickly that when you're talking about political disagreement, the context of the relationship is really, really important. So are we talking about your dad? Are we talking about your coworker? Mm. Are we talking about how you feel about people who live in Louisiana? Like it just all those different levels of connection are the missing context when you're talking about political polarization. And so now what was an attempt to sort of work through those differing levels of connection and see if we could scratch at the surface of the political conflict and see what was underneath it. I would just add that COVID was a big springboard for this book, too, because in the way that COVID revealed so many things about our systems and structures and organizations and capacities, It revealed to me in messages from listeners that all of this political conflict families had been experiencing, especially during the Trump era, extended deep into our feelings about whether to attend this wedding or not, Mm. or how I feel that you wouldn't get a vaccination when my first child was born. And those really personal examples that just flooded our inboxes as the pandemic started raging made us realize this needs to be a deeply personal book because political polarization is deeply personal. There's a lot of academic writing about it, Mm -hmm. but we really want to say this feels awful and we get it. And we want to help you figure out how to walk through that feeling. I loved how you guys broke it down into different categories to do with your coworkers, your partner, how to talk to your children, members of your family, because I do think that it's one thing to think about feeling polarized or having different opinions from people in the abstract. And it is another thing when it's your mother or your beloved aunt or someone in your family who you deeply love, but also feel deeply disconnected from because you just, you feel like you're on different planets sometimes. And it was a really kind of pragmatic, but also human centered approach, I think, to what is, what feels like a 
problem that seems far away, but is actually absolutely not far away at all. Well, and in a really circular way, everything we're scratching at these different levels of connection below the politics are also political, right? When we're talking about generational conflict, that has all types of political components. When we're talking about the expectations surrounding parenting and marriage, that also has enormous political impact. And so, you know, paradoxically, when saying, well, not everything we fight about in politics is about politics, we (laughs) circled back to the undercurrents of our political conversations are still political. And so we were really trying to sort of tease that apart and say, well, it can all be political, but if we tease it apart and we say, well, at this point, be it because of COVID or be because of, you know, race, class, status, there's these other other undercurrents in this conversation. When we bring attention to those, how can that move our, you know, political or policy discussions forward? So tell me a little bit about how the two of you found each other and then found podcasting and writing. What's your love story? (laughs) (laughs) We went to college together. We were not particularly close in college. We experienced college really differently, but we were in the same sorority and we were at a very small liberal arts college where you had a sense of who everyone was Mm -hmm. on campus at all times. We reconnected like so many people of our age do on Facebook when Sarah was writing a blog about parenting and she had written very openly about natural childbirth and I was really interested in what she was writing and I reached out for some advice we started emailing back and forth a little bit. When I was on parental leave with my first daughter, I reached out and asked if I could write some for her blog because I had found the end of the internet nursing. You know how you do. <laughs> oh, like yeah. Twitter had nothing else for me. I had read all the blogs and I needed something to think about. And she generously gave me some space to write for her. I did that again with my second daughter. And that was the moment when she said, hey, would you ever want to do a podcast? And I was like, I don't know what a podcast is because I am working in the law firm all day and taking care of little babies at night. But yes, sure. And so we just started in our closet, sitting on the floor with our husbands helping us put the technology together. And and our conversations were quickly heard by more people than I could even wrap my head around. And since then, we've just committed to showing up twice every week. I grew up on a dairy farm, so I often say that making a podcast is like milking the cows. You just have to keep showing up and doing it at a time, whether you feel like it or not, and good things happen over the long haul. What year was this when the podcast started? We started in November 2015. So it was right before a gubernatorial election in Kentucky, and then just a couple weeks later, Trump descended from that escalator. So it was like we said, let's do a podcast about nuanced political discussion. And the universe said, cool, here is the Trump candidacy. We've got something Go. for you. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I actually looked this up the other day, Beth, and he actually came down the escalator in June before we, because I was like, how close in time were these two of it? Did he really? Yeah, that it was not June. my memory at all. Well, because it was a joke at the time, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's really the journey of our podcast is this thing that like was in the background to the foreground and how we were orienting ourselves and navigating that very bizarre moment in American politics as something that seemed outlandish became more and more mainstream. And I think that sort of disorientation that we were helping ourselves and our listeners navigate really became sort of the secret sauce of pantsu politics is how to how to deal with the you know the political environment and everything feels upside down, how to not just leave 
stressed and anxious any sort of interaction with the news. That's what we really want for our listeners is that they're that they're they leave our podcast feeling informed but not feeling anxious. You say in the book that it's not an opportunity to solve conflict, but to use it to connect more deeply with the people around you. And I was really struck by both of you speaking very openly about disagreements you had had with your husbands around uh, the election and kind of, you know, politics. So can you talk us through a little bit how you guys got through that and kind of bringing it to the page and to the podcast too? Well, my husband is quite a bit more liberal than me. Not a lot, but like enough. And it's more about our personality differences than it is about our political differences. Like I'm just, I'm more enthusiastic. I'm more like sort of positively oriented Mm -hmm. and he is sort of more cynical and harsher when it comes to (laughs) certain aspects of the political discourse. And so, you know, I think I just recognized and had to recognize that this is just our personality difference. Like we're not trying to reach a destination where we decide I'm right or he's wrong or vice versa. But, you know, bringing all those relationship tools to our political discourse Mm. was, was really valuable. And it just taught me that that's true beyond marriage. Like when you're talking with your dad or your coworker, like they're bringing a lot of personal experience and a lot of personality to the discourse when oftentimes we want to tell ourselves we're just sort of coolly and logically debating policy. But that's so very rarely the case. And a ma- marriage is a fertile playground to learn that lesson. Mm. My husband is oriented differently than I am toward politics. Sometimes I say he doesn't like politics, but I think that's unfair. I think he just doesn't like elections and he doesn't like the sort of machinations of Congress. He's very interested in innovation and technology and healthcare infrastructure and all kinds of political things. But he is much more libertarian-leaning than I am. I wouldn't say that he's a full-on libertarian because I think that word means a a whole host of things. Mm. And he does believe in, like, driver's licensing, for example. (laughs) You know, he's not full. There should be no government. But it led to us actually voting for different people in 2020, which I found excruciating because he, he picked libertarian candidates almost all the way up and down the ballot he did not like the Republican choices. He did not like the Democratic choices. And, and that's where he landed. And we live in Kentucky. So no harm, no foul in some ways. Are, we're never in play for the Electoral College. Mm. But it just, I just found it so frustrating. And what I describe in the book, and I think the reason that we are, we are able to negotiate it in our marriage and that he is able to withstand me discussing it publicly, is that <laughs> I realized it was excruciating for me, not because of the electoral impact, but because I feel like I'm an expert on this stuff and he should respect my expertise and my Mm. opinion. And so it felt like a personal dig more than some philosophical contest. I knew at the end of the day, he agreed with me about who would do a better job in these positions. It was just him kind of taking some space for himself, uh, separate from me and my expertise and all the people who you know, fortunately want to know what I think about these matters. So we've, we were really mad for a while. I was mad and he was mad at me for being mad. Mm. <laughs> and then I was mad at him for being mad at me for being mad because marriage is super fun like that sometimes. And now we joke about it. Like sometimes we'll be talking about inflation or something and I'll say, well, I bet 
that Joe Jorgensen could really solve this, don't you? <laughs> and and so we're able to we're able to keep the conversation running with a little more lightness than we had in those initial moments. But it was important to me to share that story because I know that that's what people are living, mm-hmm. and and people are living that to an even with an even bigger gap with their spouse than I was feeling, and it was really hard. So I wanted to say, like, I see you in this hardness. It it does suck when you feel the space between you. I mean, especially in a marriage. And I think, um, Beth, you also talked about your daughters and them asking questions that you said kind of makes your stomach hurt because you don't know the mm-hmm. answer or it feels too heavy. And then you had this beautiful line. You said, I'm learning to quickly move past that feeling to celebrate that they keep asking. And I I loved that. I mean, but then how how do you answer their questions <laughs> for my own selfish desires to want to know how to answer my own children's questions? I've tried to get much more focused on exactly what they're asking me and making sure that I answer in a way that doesn't feel weird to them because that is what keeps bringing them back, that I don't make it feel awkward. Mm -hmm. I've kind of realized it doesn't matter what I say as much as my presentation that this is fine. So as a very recent example, my seven-year-old and I were watching an old episode of The Amazing Race. And someone said that this instrument they had to build for one of the challenges was really sexy. And my seven-year-old goes, what does sexy mean, mom? (laughs) And I said, oh, she just means it looks great. She's really proud of it. She goes, huh, because my friend said it means when you take off all your clothes and kiss. And I was like, oh. And so I had that moment where my stomach hurt. Because I was watching The Amazing Race. I was almost off duty. It was almost bedtime. Like, I was not prepared to Your guard was down. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I explained, you know, very briefly what sex means. And and she stopped and she looked at me and she goes, you make that sound way better than my friends do. <laughs> and I said, well, that's why you ask me, not your friends. When you have these questions, I'm smarter than they are. And then we, you know, went back to watching the show. But it is that just that ability to catch myself and say, the only thing that matters here is the feeling that I create in her around having asked this question, because we will get so many opportunities to talk about all of this. So, so many chances to do abortion again with her. Mm. So many chances to talk about sexual harassment in the workplace. You know, so many chances to answer these questions. So can I just make this moment a comfortable one for her? That's the only goal I have. I have to add that one time my middle son asked what sexy meant and my oldest son responded, it means pretty and a little bit mean. I was like, yes. <laughs> That's so <laughs> accurate. <laughs> accurate. Good job. That's oh my, my linguistic God. child. He he had a ridiculous vocabulary from the beginning. But I was like, that's it. I cannot, I yeah, cannot improve really on that definition. That. I'm actually going to use that one. I'm going to use that one. Yeah. Thank Griffin for me. I'm taking that one with Pretty my and kids. a little bit mean. <laughs> and then, you know, what about when your kids ask about politics? When they ask about... You know, I mean, my kids ask about climate change all the time, for example. They worry, you know, we're over here in the UK, they worry about the war in Ukraine and what that means for them. You know, do you take the same approach to those kind of more, I guess, macro level political questions that they might come to you with? I think that it really depends on the topic. It really depends on the context they're asking it. But I don't ever punt when it comes to politics just because that's my expertise. And particularly for my three boys, I want them to see a level of comfort with women and topics that aren't usually associated with women Mm. like politics. And so, you know, we talk about politics a lot. My middle child has no interest. He is conflict avoidant. He will 
jump out the car if somebody's having an argument about politics, well, at least if he could. So we don't have a lot of conversations with him, but my oldest is very political. And you know, I joke that when he, I was pregnant with him, I, I would say, no, Alex B. Keaton's allowed, but he has in fact turned me into Alex B. Keaton because oh my God. he's so liberal. <laughs> and you know, especially with climate change, we have a lot of conversations where we have to distinguish the mood or the vibe mm-hmm. of the conversation versus the, the reality of the situation. I think for better or for worse, there is a sort of Gen Z particular mentality that is very despondent mm. and anxiety-ridden about climate change. And I don't think it reflects the reality of where we are with the climate right now. And so I spend a lot of time like sending him articles about the Inflation Reduction Act and sending him podcasts with, you know, longtime climate activists saying we are entering a new, very positive phase of like building out our infrastructure to prevent further decline in the climate and just sort of reorienting that conversation because he, he, you know, he kind of got this very like nihilistic thing that I think is the, the vibe on the internet around Mm. young people in this topic. And I get it. I'm not mad. Like I understand how you could end up like that. I think I felt that way around the AIDS crisis growing up. This just sort of set you just, I think it's the legalistic thinking and the developmentally appropriate sort of way to think about the problems is to have at first this very like all is lost kind of response. And so I push back pretty hard on that with him surrounding climate change. But, you know, I try to let him work on me too. I think he definitely has with certain topics in particularly gender, you know, he Mm -hmm. basically calls everyone they and doesn't worry about pronouns anymore. And so I try to, you know, let that work on me as much as I hope to work on him because I want, I don't want to be stuck in my ways. I want to let young people work on me, especially my kids. I love that. The war in Ukraine is a really hard one. We have a an echo show in my kitchen. So there's a screen that often shows headlines. Mm. And my sixth grader saw some headlines about Russia's invasion of Ukraine and asked me to talk about it with her. And we did for a few minutes. And she said, Mom, this feels so awful. It feels like the world is ending. And I said, it it does. And for people right there, it is for right now. And they still are going on and we can go on too. And also, whenever things are really terrible to me, I think about the fact that we used to burn smart women alive because we thought they were witches. So we have come a long way. <laughs> We've come a long and way. It, <laughs> and it kind of lightened her mood. And But she'll say that to me back sometimes now. Like, we've come a long way. Even though we're not perfect, we've come a very long way. I and I think that. that's been helpful to, to us. That's so sweet. I spend a lot of time with my kids. I have 11-year-old twins and uh, explaining to them how to determine if a news source is worth their time, worth reading, if it's been researched, going through what fake news looks like and what the different fallacies are because they, you know, even despite all of the controls that I have in like every element of Mm. their life, they still see a lot. And, you know, they sometimes freak out. They'll see like a really you know, a headline that's like absolute clickbait. And they'll be like, I just read that there was a bomb in London. And I'm like, that did not happen. Let's just like (laughs) take a pause and figure out how to do that. But, you know, this, I think it's not, it's not easy when you're doing this with kids and, uh, you know, you do a really good job of kind of talking through your own challenges with that in the book. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or 
anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I want to talk a little bit about the writing process because I think writing as a duo, I'm super curious about it. So how is writing books together kind of the same or different from podcasting together? And how do you guys kind of manage that process between the two of you? We wrote our first book very differently than the second book. The first book was quite different from making the podcast. Mm. We got together, came up with an outline, really divided up section by section, and then traded drafts and tried hard in the first book to write with one voice. And as we approach the second book, we realize we want this to be more like the podcast. We are two voices. We are two mm-hmm. distinct people with distinct experiences and styles and thoughts and worries. And so let's put more of our own voices into this book. So we spent more time in person writing this book together, but we tried less to make it have one voice. We would say, here's kind of the story that I would tell if we were talking about this on the show okay, I'm going to write that story for this chapter. Here's what you might say and how I might play off of that. Okay, that's our outline for this part of it. And we would kind of talk chapter by chapter, go off to our corners, do our writing, come back, share it, make any changes, and then move on to the next next chapter. And I think that process really did infuse the book with more of the sort of casual and I hope sometimes fun and sometimes poignant and and sometimes introspective vibe that the podcast has like all of the things that we are I I hope translated to the page more with this mm-hmm. book because of that process. Yeah, I don't have anything to add. I think that it was much more difficult. This is another place where covid played a role. Mm-hmm. Writing this book was much harder than our second book because we were so taxed emotionally and spiritually because of the pandemic. So that also required our presence, which probably is a a really beautiful, beautiful metaphor in a different way than the first book because we just had more space and capacity. But I learned a lot writing, writing this way and writing during that particular time in human history. Do you prefer podcasting or writing? It's like picking children, (laughs) picking a favorite child. I prefer podcasting. It is not a hard question. <laughs> not not a hard question for Beth. No, because I love that we get to react to what's happening on the podcast. We're not trying to project forward what people are going to care about. We mm. we know what they care about today and in 24 hours we hope when the podcast comes out. I like that we keep getting to do it again, you know. Writing has such a permanence about it. I enjoy writing. 
And I am glad we wrote these two books. And I'd also be fine if we didn't do another book because I I think what we make on the podcast is the best reflection of the two of us in our relationships. Mm. But I am really proud of the work that we have, have put into these books. It's a harder question for me because writing and talking <laughs> have just been such like fundamental parts of who I am. You know, I, I've, I wrote a column all the way through high school, all the way through college. And then I started a blog. I was really active in the blogosphere when we were starting this podcast. So I was I had a pretty much a daily writing habit. And, you know, it, it feeds something very fundamental in me. And it feels sort of permanent in a way that mm. podcasting doesn't. I think we're creating something big and important and living in a different way on the podcast that I'm really proud of. But, you know, when we wrote our first book and I thought, this is going to go in the Library of Congress, it just landed a little differently. You know, when you when you publish a work and it, and it, you know that it will, it will sit there and it will be, and it will exist in a little bit different way than a podcast does. I really love it. And I, I have to use very, very different parts of my brain when I'm writing and I can sort of, exercise and follow through on thoughts and sort of emotional journeys in a different way that when I'm writing than when I'm podcasting. And so they're just, they're just so different to me that it's hard to compare. And they've both been such a a fundamental part of who I am for so long. It's, it's like I said, it feels very Sophie's choice to me. It must be interesting though, because like in the podcast, it kind of comes out and turns around in a very quick period of time. And then you don't get a chance to go back and edit what you've Mm -hmm. done. Whereas in the book, you know, certainly uh, in my own writing process, there's like a lot of editing and that takes a lot of time. And that must be, you know, very different experience because the podcast just, it's out and done. Whereas the book, you really have to go back and maybe think more, reflect more, more opportunities to like change your mind about what you said. So I can see those being two really, really different things. But the book is really conversational. Like it really does feel like you're listening to two friends talk to each other. And I think that that definitely comes across in the process. So good job on that, both of you. I I think the editing is so valuable too, because, you know, I think about the Regina Spector song all the time. You can write, but you can't edit. Mm. You know, I think that putting your thoughts out there. And there is this sort of ephemeral quality of like, well, I didn't love everything I said on that episode, but who cares? I'm going make another one in three days. Right. That is so different than when you're trying to clarify. And look, I think that they are both very important. I read it. I listened to a really interesting interview about writing on a podcast. See, look, it's all tied up together. <laughs> where an author of short stories was just saying like, you know, how you consume something is so different. If you're talking about a short story where every word for like months, almost to a year or more is just dissected and clarified and pushed and pulled that your engagement with that as a reader is so different than like what a 30 second TikTok video that was consumed, that was made without editing quickly to be consumed quickly. You know, Mm -hmm. like I do think there's something special that happens to our brains when we're reading the written word the end, you know, working through stories that went through many, many rounds of editing that is really, really important. The reason I like podcasting is because, you know, as much as you can in an online space, it does push you in a more engaged direction. It's not like I always say, like, we don't get a lot of trolls because you can't skim a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. 
Like you can't just, you're not flipping through the way you are like a TikTok video or an Instagram post or a Twitter feed, right? Like it's a very different level of engagement with podcasting, which is why I think it's such a special space on the Mm -hmm. internet because you kind of get the best of, I don't know if you get the best of both worlds, but I do think you get the best that that online content space can offer, which is that deeper, but broad engagement. That's so true. So when you're not thinking about politics, podcasting about politics, writing about politics, also being moms, what 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 else do you like to read and sort of consume in terms of media? Like what are your favorite podcasts, favorite books that you're reading right now? It's okay if they are political, but I would think <laughs> maybe you need like a little break sometimes. I'm deep in all of the Trump retrospectives. That's what most of my reading is right now. I've okay, so still very political. <laughs> very political. I've worked through almost... I would not say that's my favorite, but I have found it incredibly helpful to read the the edited long form meant to provide a different perspective than my quick take piece, mm. you know, accounts from reporters who covered that administration. Outside of that, I really love to read poetry. I read at least a poem every day and and sit and think about it quite a bit. It's a big part of my life. I love music of all genres. I particularly love going to concerts. Um, so my favorite podcast right now that's not political is 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, where they like do a deep dive on on individual songs, a lot of one-hit wonders, but a lot of really significant artists too. And and the journey that those people took and why that song connects. It's so much fun. Oh my God. I'm so lots of media is very right important now. to me. <laughs> it's so it's so good. You will not regret it. Amazing. Sarah, what about you? Well, the podcast I just cited was the Ezra Klein show, which is mm-hmm. I listen to pretty religiously. And the new podcast I'm obsessed with is The C Word from Lena Dunham and Alyssa Bennett. It talks about women who've been called crazy over the course of history and sort of revisits their stories. And um, I adore it. I think it is so smart and so thoughtful and just pushes so many buttons, sort of like pop culture, feminist, political history, like all my, some of my favorite topics. I'm a pretty prolific reader. I read a lot and I read a lot of different things. I am in a phase right now where I like to read older fiction Mm. because I can follow sort of the zeitgeist and read all the literary novels right now and then look up and be like, why did I read all those books? (laughs) I mean, I like them fine, but so I've been really trying to make space to read novels, both popular and literary that are not of our time that are older. I read my very first Stephen King this year. I read Carrie. I'm reading Pat Conroy right now which my mom always loved. I read The Thorn Birds, which is the only book my mother's ever read twice. My mom's a librarian, so she's also a big reader. I try to read a Jane Austen every year. So I'm really trying to sort of push myself and go back because I think the pace is so different in novels, mm. you know, written before 2000 or, you know, older than 10 years, I guess I would say that just the pace is different. The way they're structured is different. And I like it. It makes, it's soothing to me. <laughs> so I've been reading a lot of um, older fiction. And then I read a lot of um, nonfiction, both relevant to our show and not. I, re- I read Maggie Haberman's Confidence Man. Mm. It was helpful, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> on some level. And I read a lot of sort of, you know, nonfiction about policy or sort of cultural issues in our country and around the globe, be it, you know, mental health or infrastructure, you know, just depending on what I've stumbled upon. But, 
And then I also, yeah, I'm a I'm a big music lover. I'm deep into the the Christmas listening right now, obviously. Yes. And I you know, I watched a lot of TV in the first 20 years of my life, like <laughs> a lot. I was an only child. TV was basically my sibling. Um and I look back at my sort of watching habits in my early 20s and just kind of weep a little bit for that lost time. So I watched a little bit of TV, but not a lot of start of the crown, obviously, because I don't want to feel left out of everything. No, I'm just kidding. I actually That's good preparation fascinated. for when you come to the UK. Yeah, exactly. I actually am just generally fascinated <laughs> by the royal family. But so I do, I do a little bit of TV, but not as much as I used to. And so it's mainly, it's mainly reading. That's my, my primary. I don't want to listen to a ton of podcasts either because I work from home. So (laughs) no commuting time, but I read a lot. So what is next for you guys? Well, presidential cycle is starting Mm -hmm. in earnest, you know, as we get into 2023. So we'll be covering that. We're doing a lot more speaking in person next year, which we're really excited about. That sounds fun. Love to be on college campuses or with conferences, organizations, just being in a room with people feels really good. And feels really different than making the podcast and knowing that people are like talking back to their car speakers, but not being able to see their faces and feel their energy. (laughs) So we're excited to be out and about. And the other thing that's so great about speaking is that we really get to spend a lot of time in communities. And, you know, we, we just spent some time in Oklahoma City and had the best time getting to know that city through the people who invited us there. And there's just no substitute for for understanding the country that way being invited in by locals who are really proud of where they live. So that'll be a big part of next year for us. We have a couple of live shows coming up. You know, we're, we're doing one in Orlando in April that I think will be a lot of fun. We're just going to try to keep doing what we do our way. We're, there's so much media writing out there right now as there's all of these layoffs and consolidations mm-hmm. and shuffles and shutdowns. And every piece I read on the media landscape and particularly on the news and politics beat affirms for me, we just need to keep doing what we do our way and let that be our guiding light and let the chips fall because there, there is no strategy that that will guide you through the tumultuousness of this market. So just yeah. keep showing up as Sarah and Beth and let the rest of it figure itself out. Milk your podcasting cows, as you said, the... That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, I have loved chatting with you. We always like to finish up with advice for aspiring writers, but I would also say for aspiring podcasters, what is the one piece of advice you would each give to someone listening to this and thinking, I want to do that? When I was writing a blog that I wanted to be much more successful than it was and visiting a lot of blogging conferences where people offered advice... I got so old when they would say, just make content you love. (laughs) And yet it is the best advice. (laughs) It is, unfortunately, as cliche as it is, the best advice. Because to be, you know, consistent for me requires something that I enjoy doing. I have a short attention span. And so if I can't sort of follow my interest and really do and talk about or write about what I'm interested in. I just, I won't do it. And the other piece of the puzzle that I think fell in place for me with the podcast is, you know, the advice that like, know your niche, like know how to, like that elevator pitch, how to explain what you're doing to other people. Because I think there's the balance is following what you 
love until it just becomes you and not something that is <laughs> available or marketable to other people. And so with Pantsuit Politics, I think it really became this nice combination of we love talking to each other and talking to each other was an easy thing to pitch and explain to other people. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you can find those two, that balance between doing something you love that is explainable easily to other people, be it a book or a podcast or whatever, that I'm not, I'm not promising success, but I think that that is a good place to start. Well, continuing my 90s music love, I was such a Jewel fan as a high yes. school. I'm still, I'm still such a Jewel fan. <laughs> that was like my number her? one favorite album. That was like a CD that I absolutely listened to the whole thing so many yes. times. Okay, so you're going to know this then. My favorite Pieces of You track was I'm Sensitive and I'd Like to Stay That Way. Yes. <laughs> it connected very <laughs> deeply with me <laughs> and it remains true. And everything that we do has an opportunity to get your feelings hurt. All of mm-hmm. it. Every piece of writing, uh, every podcast, every media appearance, like all of it, it's just like an ocean of invitations. Please come hurt my feelings. And I think that, you know, for for people who also resonated with that song, I would just say that the lesson for me over the past seven years has been to, to stay that way, to even though it can be really vulnerable and really hard sometimes, there is a ton to learn from that experience. Even just measuring my own reactions. We we made a mistake on our last podcast and somebody pointed it out quite publicly this week. And it mm. just was like daggers. Like I got in bed and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And then I just heard that voice that was like, hey, the more interesting question here is why you can't stop thinking about this than why you made the mistake. You, mm. you record a gazillion hours of audio every week. Of course, you're going to make mistakes. So why are we still ruminating on this? And I think just recognizing every every time you get hurt as like an opportunity to learn something about yourself and grow from it, you're going to keep making better content because you've done that than if you get really hard and defensive about it. Those are both so fantastic. And I just love this. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. Thank Thanks you for, for talking us. with us. It was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.